This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, Rishi. Thanks for joining me. It's great to be here. Thanks for, thanks for having me. I'd like to talk to you, as you know, about the role that history and the humanities played in your life as an entrepreneur. It's probably fair to say that most people in business or in academia don't see a very strong connection between the study of history and entrepreneurship, or history and tech for that matter. But for you, that connection has been very strong, I noticed. So I'm curious how it formed. And reading your essays and talking to you, I'm seeing two pathways, the path to entrepreneurship, to business and tech on the one hand, and the path to history and the humanities on the other hand. Looking back at your childhood, and that's my question now, was there anything that pulled you in these directions that you feel like is is worth going back to? And and if so, what was it? Well, thank you again for having me. And I think that's a great question. Um, And I think it's important to start um, well before, uh, you know, the word business meant anything to me, well before the word technology meant much to me. Um, You know, as I look back at kind of, uh, childhood and um, my sort of K through 12 education, uh, what I noticed was building in me, um, let's say by the end of K through 12 education, was certainly awe and wonder um, around history specifically. Um, I always had a love for archives. I always had a, had a love for old things. I was a collector of newspapers. Um, that was sort of, sort of one way in which my love of history manifested itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved reading old speeches and watching old speeches and listening to old speeches as much as I could. Um, and I was grateful in college. Um, again, this is before, if you would have asked me during any of this, Rishi, what's a, what is a company? What is, what is <laughs> banking? What is consulting? What is a technology firm? What is software? You know, I wouldn't have much of an answer, Uh, but I was grateful in college to um, to be told that it's okay to pursue studies um, that exhilarate you intellectually. Uh And that's what history was doing for me. Um, It was exhilarating to dig into Uh the past and lived with live with human communities of of the past. Um, and I found that work a labor of love actually. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and so my mind developed a reference point around what it feels like to be passionate. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. in many ways, um, the beginnings of my career as an entrepreneur, as an executive, um, mm-hmm. more. Interesting. It's very interesting because, you know, this is not this is not the trajectory that's that's I think common for a lot of people who end up yeah. in business, right? Who actually don't start with um, maybe pausing and thinking about what they love, but 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 are often maybe pushed in that direction or or feel like you know they have to go in a certain direction. They don't always have those stimuli that that encourage them to pursue these these things. Maybe. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I was just I was very lucky, and it, it took courage. You know, I, I had other 
things I was thinking about as I was going to school. I was contemplating both my parents are physicians and I was contemplating a career in medicine. Um, but I, what I realized was that I, I didn't want nine steps on the staircase of life to be difficult, to be those in, steps on which I felt dispassionate only to get to the 10th step and feel passion. Mm -hmm. I wanted mm -hmm. each step to feel like one of passion. And I think, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that that's in part why I ran towards history in particular. And, um, and I chose a lot of my independent work in college were of topics that were of deep personal interest to me, mm -hmm. uh, not just not even within history, not just doing the work just to do the work. Right. So yeah, uh, in college, you went to Princeton, you majored in history. And That's you right. earned a certificate in American studies. Why this particular concentration? Well, I think, um, you know, I chose history for all the reasons I've sort of outlined, right? And I, yeah. and I of course, didn't know what it might um, yield. Uh, I do remember, I should say, a conversation that, you know, didn't make all the difference in the world. But I remember when I was a senior in high school, I remember having a conversation with someone in um, the town I lived in, 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 uh, Connecticut, uh, who I was doing an internship who said, you know, and this is an older gentleman. He says, you know, um, I work for the town. I work in city government. The most interesting people I've ever met in my life and career have been history majors. And it just stayed with me. Uh, but I, I think I would have majored in history regardless, but Patrick, you know, I, in college, if you were to ask me what I focused on within history at Princeton, we were, our mandate was to write a senior thesis uh -huh. at the end of our time in college and to also write um, long form junior papers. Mm -hmm. And my papers, I think, are a great example of, of sort of my passion. My senior thesis was on United States immigration policy towards South Asia after mm -hmm. World War II. Mm -hmm. And the reason I chose that topic was I was trying to understand me. Mm -hmm. I was mm -hmm. trying to understand how it was that my mother and father and their their mm -hmm. generation was able to immigrate to this country. Mm -hmm. And so in many ways, as my advisor said, my my work within on my thesis was a labor of love, mm -hmm. a labor of self-understanding. Mm -hmm. uh, one of my junior papers was a was a paper about the British use of South Asian soldiers during the First World War. And I, I used it as a uh, sort of a, it was a history of science sort of paper. I was trying to understand the racial dynamic mm -hmm. between British officers and and Indian soldiers. And so all of that is to say, you know, ostensibly I was studying the Western world, mm -hmm. but with an eye on its relationship yeah. to the East and sure. all of it sort of as a way to understand me yeah. again and, 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 and again, not with an eye on what it might lead to, but with sure. an eye on making sure I stayed passionate and sure. excited. Interesting. Yeah, I think a lot of us could relate to this finding um, of ourselves within the subjects we study on undergraduate and graduate levels. Uh, but what's important, I think, is what you're also trying to say is that um, by studying ourselves in the world, we also gain experience and we gain the tools to discover other things that may be important to others, right? So so this is kind of a bridge. Um, That's right. To, you, you, to develop, you develop mm -hmm. intuition by developing intuition about yourself you develop intuition about the world and vice versa right yeah. the, when history offered me an intuitive ability to understand other human communities yeah. um it gave me a sense of self too yeah yeah i like that um so first let's fast forward a, a couple of years um, um a recent article about you published in um in a, a paper um, online publication by Virginia Tech, where you're also a distinguished fellow now and a professor of practice, starts with a story from um, about 20 years ago when you were done with college. It's about you delivering a closing prayer at a newly elect as a newly elected uh, trustee uh, at Princeton. And you must have said something that drew the attention of Google CEO, Eric Schmidt, um, uh, who, at the time, who told you that we don't need more technologists, we need more people like you. What exactly did you say? Do you remember? <laughs> and what do you think he liked about it? Well, I think uh, I'd have to dig up that speech and, and maybe re read it out loud one day, uh, that prayer rather. Um, but ostensibly what I recall talking about was, again, building on my work in the history department at Princeton. You know, I had I had the good fortune of being elected to the university's board of trustees 
um, as a younger alum, uh, which is a very long story. But my prayer that day recalled the past is mm -hmm. what I remember. I remember, I remember wanting to convey to fellow board members a sense that we as trustees and we who are responsible for governing a university exist in a larger context mm -hmm. and a wider arc of stewardship of university and time on earth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe it was more, uh, you know, profound or emotional or, um, you know, it, it included a sense of awe that maybe folks weren't used to, right? There was a, almost a vulnerability mm -hmm. in what I was conveying. Uh, but I remember wanting to convey uh, perspective to mm -hmm. people, right, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. more than anything else. And, I, and I'm um, grateful that that Eric leaned over and suggested I might work with him. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's just an interesting example of the kinds of skills and sensibilities people in business and people in technology mm -hmm. look for, particularly mm -hmm. in technology, right, where you're always in either hyper present mode or hyper future mm -hmm. mode you you really sometimes lose sight of the wider arc and that wider arc is sometimes what you need to yeah. educate a policymaker to mm -hmm. inspire a team to develop ideas for how a product ought to be designed informed by what humans have run mm -hmm. towards for decades things like mm -hmm. that fascinating yeah um I, you know i it's very interesting because I think even outside tech, as 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 I've been, it's it's even as a historian, it's sometimes easy to forget history, and you're so focused on your life, right? And and the future of where it's going, and your family and your kids and all this that a simple moment of pause and kind of a retrospective look and can actually bring out a certain magic in a way that maybe you know you're sitting in a garden at night and you look into space and and you also realize that you're just you know what little piece of dust in the universe and that also brings perspective right but it takes a certain it, it's certain a certain experience i think uh, and discipline to be able to stop like this and think well i think and i think you i think i've realized in my years in business as an entrepreneur and leader one can be intentional about this meaning mm -hmm. you can find intentional ways as a ceo as a product manager as a manager as an entrepreneur to integrate the practice of perspective the practice mm -hmm. of history the practice of interesting wait a minute take a step back right one of the things that i my teams over the years have, have always said that i i say a lot in meetings uh -huh. is i say you know let's take a step back let's uh -huh. remind ourselves let you know we're trying to close this deal we're trying to sell this product we're trying to launch this idea we're trying to um uh close this partnership mm -hmm. sometimes when you have when you, you it's easy to lose the big picture mm -hmm. because but when you're mindful of the big picture you, it's easier to triage it's easier to prioritize it's e easier to storytell the sell mm -hmm. it's easier to know which way to turn or how hard to negotiate yeah. uh, because you know what what's the what your real north star is right um and so it's it, it's it's a practice you can intentionally bring into the meeting room i think Interesting. It's actually fascinating. And I'd like to ask you more about this. But before that, maybe I can um, ask you uh, about a little bit of context. So you've held executive roles at Google and Twitter, leading these two companies, I learned expansion to Asia. So I was wondering, before we delve into the actual historical examples or examples of how you used history and step back in specific situations, maybe you could talk very briefly about what that you know what leading an expansion to Asia meant. What uh, in terms of concrete activities and, and challenges? Yeah, of course. I mean, at a very tactical minutia level, of course, services like Google and all of its products and Twitter are available around the world before any human being from that company sets uh, shows up, right? Mm -hmm. And so there, that that's a really important first sentence. Sometimes that. Uh, my teams and people in technology miss, right? It, it takes humility to mm -hmm. acknowledge that our services are available around the world mm -hmm. and are already popular. Mm -hmm. So really my roles ended up being thinking about, okay, analyzing data 
around when when are these products particularly sticky in X country, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's not always the case that you launch an app, it'll be popular every day. Mm -hmm. There are probably certain use cases Mm -hmm. that users in these countries, humans in these countries rather, are Mm -hmm. gravitating towards. Okay, what are are, are they? What does the data tell us? Okay, what can we then do to further fuel those use cases? So, you know, Mm -hmm. at Twitter, People were using Twitter to follow cricket. Okay, mm-hmm. we know that's a use case. All right. Then um, what other partner, business partners do we need to further that use case? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we find and do meetings with a whole range of business partners to figure out ways in which to construct, construct mutually valuable deals. Hiring, hiring people that can kind of scale um, adoption of products. Mm -hmm. Uh, working with local brands and advertisers to drive revenue on top of those use cases, Um, localizing the product in a big way, right? So Mm -hmm. learning how, for instance, in a lot of markets in Africa and Asia, um, back when I was in technology, the internet was new. They used to use SMS in a big way. Mm -hmm. And so we, for instance, brought listening to what people are telling you that, hey, I use SMS, I don't use mobile internet. So we brought Twitter to SMS in -hmm. a very cool way uh, in some of these countries. You could actually make a phone call to a Twitter account and follow and receive its tweets via SMS, sort of Twitter missed call. Um, So Mm -hmm. a lot of these initiatives and activities require a level of curiosity, probing, patience, almost learning about the market before before you act. Uh, mm-hmm. And then what you see at the end is products that are growing, governments that are respectful of our path to growth, right? Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of these other countries want Western companies to be listeners more mm-hmm. than, you know, plant, uh, flag planters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that dynamic, I think, helped me immensely because I, I came in with an orientation of deference and respect Mm-hmm. to local institutions and local individuals. And I think that led to success for me and the companies I worked for. Interesting. Do, do you find that uh, flag planting is still kind of a default in these relationships, would you say? I think so. And I think that's a really important you know, point around kind of the role, you know, what happens when you have like a history major in the room, right? right. I, think, I think there's a really strong tendency for Western companies um, to want to enter foreign markets particularly internet companies, right? That, that can very quickly generate um, mm-hmm. user volumes in mm-hmm. countries that uh, are open, that speak English, uh, or um, there's a tendency to that. It's okay to sort of superficially fly by mm-hmm. the market. Mm-hmm. You know, you can kind of localize your product, maybe visit once, you know, maybe do a little bit of a marketing promotion and there you're, you're here. Mm-hmm. And I think part of my orientation was always that, there's another way that's more bottoms up, more horizontal, mm-hmm. that will help us stay for the long term. Because ultimately, each of these countries has a local entrepreneurial ecosystem, mm-hmm. has governments that are that care a lot about its local mm-hmm. entrepreneurial ecosystem. Sure. Uh, and so the more we can project um, respect, curiosity, mm-hmm. um, patience, the long-term, long-term philosophy, uh, the more successful we'll be in the long term. And I think we saw that in a number of countries I was lucky enough to help some of these companies land in. So I'd love to hear more examples. And by the way, I love the you know your usage of the word ecosystem because I think once you have that understanding in place, it's 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 harder to kind of um, you know uh, maybe um, push your way through without paying attention to what's going on um, and just thinking about your own agenda, right? But could you talk about specific examples um, in which history, you know, or or more generally your humanities background helped you um, succeed, helped you solve specific challenges during these roles at Twitter or Google? Well, I mean, first, I think um, the history degree, one one question I, I felt often when I was at Google, Twitter and in venture capital uh, and entrepreneurial in between, um, what it does for you is it gives you uh, extraordinary superpowers, I think, 
around critical thinking, clarity of thought, mm -hmm. um, communication, both as a writer, a storyteller, a speaker, all of which really matter when you're mm -hmm. trying to build trust with teams in different markets and um, powerful stakeholders in those markets. So when mm -hmm. I was at Google 20 years ago, uh, 15 plus years ago, um, you know, we were dealing with lots of incoming from governments. Governments were uh, the, the government of India, for instance, the government of Pakistan, the government of Bangladesh were all quite um, had a lot of knee jerk reactions around. We want to block YouTube in our country. We want to block blogger in our country. We want to block mm -hmm. Orkut, which is an old social network in our country, because this video is bad. That video is bad. This video mm -hmm. is bad. And so I had to develop a practice of what I call public private partnerships with these governments, meaning mm -hmm. in addition to trying to defend the value of free speech, um, I also had to show them that these technology products can actually add value from a governance standpoint to them. And mm -hmm. so we built a really cool elections product in India where users could search uh, which constituency, um, you know, the, they live in and what, mm -hmm. who's running for office there and the development status there. Uh, we did lots of really interesting things around bringing the internet and educating folks on internet safety um, mm -hmm. in those markets as a way to kind of build trust. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was at when I was at uh, Twitter, as I indicated earlier, uh, we launched this really inventive service where you can make a phone call to a Twitter account as a way to kind of receive tweets via SMS. Mm -hmm. uh, I spent a lot of time working with uh, governments there as well, uh, and as a way to help them understand. Um, the role of the role that social media can play in um, cultivating and building audiences. Um, mm -hmm. I think that part of what part of what helped, again, from a history degree standpoint, mm -hmm. was not just sort of the um, curiosity around local culture, um, but just being able to communicate in a way mm -hmm. that transcended kind of business speak. You know, a lot of a lot of these kind of when you're meeting with a prime minister, when you're meeting with the head of a media company, when you're meeting with a television broadcaster, when you're meeting with a brand, when you're meeting with a company you want to buy, when you're meeting with someone you're trying to hire, uh, you know, when you're meeting with um, uh, a celebrity, you know, and trying to convince them to use your platform, you know, mm -hmm. and not another platform, you're trying to kind of cultivate what what they don't react well to, I don't think, is business speak, right? <laughs> kind of the, the language of PowerPoints, the language of buzzwords. The most generic what, kind of language. Yeah, what that, they do react yeah. well to is creativity, is react well to feeling seen, react mm -hmm. well to um, vision, mm -hmm. react well to um, gravitas, uh, react well to clarity. And I think part of what I felt like I brought in a lot of those contexts, be it negotiating with governments on censorship, be it constructing really cool information dissemination partnerships with Google and YouTube and internet safety campaigns, be it, um, you know, while at Twitter working with power structures in a lot of countries to prioritize mm -hmm. Twitter, which was very small then, uh, over other platforms, be it, you know, working later, I was a venture capitalist convincing companies like Uber, Airbnb, and Coursera to prioritize India in really creative ways. Mm -hmm. um, I think those skills, which are really history and humanity skills, um, I think they made a difference, if not mm -hmm. often the difference. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating because I think for people who are immersed in the liberal arts, and you know, and there are many people out there, don't realize how much value these skills have in in other domains. So I'm, I'm really glad that you brought up these. Um, elements like critical thinking, communication, empathy, all of which kind of create um, a really um, a magic combination. Um, so after a couple of decades in tech, you decided that more could and should be done to open tech to the humanities. Um, and I have more questions about this, but my first one is, how did you arrive at this conclusion in the first place? Yeah, I think, um, I think Patrick, it was sort of, underground building for some time. You know, I think that um, after a stint, in, you know, my first stint in education reform, then I was at Google, 
I was then I was an entrepreneur in Detroit for a number of years, uh, and then Twitter, then venture capital. You know, there are moments, of course, in your career where you sort of wonder how how has this all happened? How was this all happening? Um, it's got to be more than serendipity. There's got to be something else going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I began to realize that you know because I I had an, I had a background that was not just tech sector, right? I came from the nonprofit sector. I was in the NGO world too, in between a lot of these companies. And so I would often be in meeting rooms where I felt a little bit, um, I didn't feel like I was the perfect, you know, uh, I don't, I didn't feel like I was out of central casting uh, (laughs) the way, you know, some of my colleagues might've been. And so I had this sense that, you know, I I felt like my background was um, a little bit different. Um, And, but it wasn't until, I would say 2016, 17, when a friend of mine from Google uh, wrote a book called The Fuzzy and the Techie, the power, uh, why the liberal arts will shape the future of technology. My friend, Scott mm-hmm. Hartley, um, he wrote a book kind of framing up the role the liberal arts play and have long played in Silicon Valley, how the founder of, of Slack is a philosophy major, how mm-hmm. the founder of Salesforce is a history major, how the... Airbnb founders are designers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that for me helped awaken in me and clarify for me that, gosh, you know, it's, it's the, it's the history degree really. And the liberal arts more generally lifelong love of the of liberal arts that have actually been how I've broken through and stood out and done well. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I decided that I wanted to start giving other people, young people, people in other countries where liberal arts may not be emphasized, a -hmm. sense that it's okay to embrace these fields and disciplines too, Mm -hmm. because there's a future in a variety of industries uh, and a variety of ways to live your life in those fields. So that's kind of, that was sort of the beginning of it. And I also, I must say, Patrick, I also felt like our world was becoming so short form, dopamine focused, (laughs) answer now, question later, mm-hmm. that I also felt this need to represent, you know, as history teaches us, um, represent a way of thinking that isn't just, isn't so presentist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I felt like that would be, given my background and experience, just good, not just educationally, but just good for our culture. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. someone from the technology sector explicitly saying that, uh, he or she also cares about human truths and human wisdom from a thousand years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I, I thought that that is a positive ripple to mm-hmm. send in the world. And I hope it's been that the last few years. Interesting. Interesting what you mentioned about, um, you know, your friend's book and which I haven't read yet, um, but I will about the humanities backgrounds of, you know, of, of people from Silicon Valley of people behind tech because sometimes yep. i wonder as a you know as a father of two boys young boys i uh i wonder if the world that these people created thanks to the imagination that they you know acquired through the humanities but the world that they created does it does it does it actually do as much for the younger kids as the humanities did for them so i, yeah. I think you know you might have an answer to it but 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 there's 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 some kind of um i think um, order in 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 having this go round and coming back to the humanities after the full tech emphasis, maybe I don't know. Yeah, well, one one of the ways this manifested for me was, you know, I remember at, at Google thinking, always wondering because I was, you know, younger then. Wow, what is the difference between that senior manager of engineering and that vice president of engineering, or what is the difference <laughs> between that senior manager of sales? And then that vice president of sales. Mm-hmm. And often it was something like the history degree. Interesting. It was, it was that the leaders had um, carried themselves. If they weren't history majors, they carried themselves like history majors. Right? <laughs> uh, and I think, and, and that's okay too, right? Because uh-huh. we're all lifelong learners and sure. we, we all have an ability in us to uh, reset and renew. And for me, there were so many moments in my career where I realized that um, even though our culture did not above ground, above board, give awards to or give a round of applause to the history majors, mm-hmm. underground, 
it felt like it was people like that that were particularly successful in technology. You know, we all know the example of Steve Jobs, but so many so many people I know in technology are not who've done so well and are imaginative and fulfilled aren't full time technology people. They're not they're not programmers. Right. Um, they're something else. And I think right. I'm glad that people like you are are helping us fill in that blank around what is that something else. And I think the history degree and sensibility is a part of it. Yeah. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Oh, well, thanks for that answer. I, I think there are a lot of people wondering about this, actually. Um, so, um, so, you know, I'm, I'm curious to, to hear people's uh, reactions to what you say um, and write. And speaking of writing, actually, I'd like to quote from your recent um, essay, which you published on Substack. It's titled, Can We Connect the Dots Moving Forward? Uh, it's the essay. It's an essay that I enjoyed very much reading. And here comes the quotation. Uh, Committing to the humanities triggers the cultivation of a superpower in each of us, a sustained and habitual sense of awe and wonder in human others and all others, which in turn leads to growing skills and sensibilities of curiosity, empathy, introspection, storytelling, story listening, too. Imagination, communication, vision, leadership, unquote. So in many ways, it sort of uh, captures many themes that you, you've talked about already, right? And my question is this. You know, we're used to thinking about empathy, curiosity, reflection about the other, mostly as, as a kind of a glue for a good community, a good society, right? And mm -hmm. in contrast, many of us have been um, also accustomed to thinking about business in somewhat caricature terms as a as a kind of a selfish, maybe even inhumane endeavor. Um, but it sounds like to you, business and tech can't really exist without empathy and curiosity. Mm -hmm. Would you like to say a little bit more about this? Well, I think I think it's important to, you know, and I, I felt when I first entered the quote unquote business world or tech world, obviously there was an insecurity in me, right? I, I didn't know all these words. I didn't understand mm -hmm. the lingo. I didn't understand uh, that pace necessarily. Um, but what I quickly realized is how human it is. I quickly realized and demystified for myself that the business world is and the tech world is composed of humans and the skill, mm -hmm. you know, to the room where things happen, so to speak, in the business world, um, there's still a lot of randomness and serendipity and human dynamics at play, right? right? Learning when and how to reply all to that thread with senior executives on it to plant the seed around a business idea is a really human skill. Knowing when to speak up on uh, in a conversation when you're presenting in a boardroom to mm -hmm. you know board members of, of one of these companies and knowing how to storytell in a way that doesn't come across as too disruptive because mm -hmm. they're they're not going to green light your disruptive idea but they might green light your 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 um, kind of moderate idea um, is a human skill, right? Mm -hmm. Learning how to um, have a conversation with a member of your team that is struggling or has got an offer from somewhere else mm -hmm. uh, and you want to keep them, that's a human skill, right? Mm -hmm. uh, learning how to, um, you know, close a deal uh, with a customer who um, has got cold feet um, and reading the room on that, so to speak, it's a human skill. And I think, I think we don't talk about that enough. Um, I think that especially in this era of AI, where so much can be so much modeling and kind of kind of rote business work, so to speak, is mm -hmm. is more accessible to us. I think the the people that are able to um, carry themselves with three dimensional human know how are <laughs> going to be the ones that are particularly successful in the business world. That's the mm -hmm. business world I've experienced. It's mm -hmm. it's exceedingly human. Personalities matter, mm -hmm. um, and so therefore persons matter. Mm -hmm. 
You founded Times Bridge, a, a venture capital firm, which you signaled um, a moment earlier. And the portfolio in- includes uh, firms like uh, Uber House and other well-known companies. Uh, you mentioned Coursera also. Uh, your profile states that the firm helps world's best ideas to spread internationally, and the, the firm's focus is India. Uh, and the website states that for companies to win India, they must immerse in its zeitgeist. And you knew I was going to ask about this because of the term is such a huge tease for a uh, his- historian. But yes. Uh, so I have to ask, basically, how does history fit into the operations of that company? Well, it's interesting. Um, you know, I had this idea for this company, you know, uh, you know, seven, seven years ago when I realized how many Western companies sort of are, are happy to kind of superficially mm-hmm. engage with the Eastern world, so to speak. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I lived my a portion of my career helping companies think differently and be more grassroots and immersive um, and, you know, looking for customers and companies that wanted to go deeper. I think that one of the things I realized was, and my teams, you know, made fun of me for using this word so often, this word zeitgeist, it means lots of things. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I realized was that, you know, one way to detect whether a company's product or service has arrived in a country is to ask, well, is it in, is it in the zeitgeist? Mm-hmm. Does it have currency in the culture? You could ask that about mm-hmm. any company. You could ask mm-hmm. that about a, a, a you know an iPhone. You could ask that about you know a, a clothing brand. Right. You can ask that about anything, right? Ultimately, companies know that in our cluttered world, one route to success is finding your way into the culture, mm-hmm. because if you find your way into the culture and the conversation, sales flow from that, right? Mm-hmm brand affinity flows from that, whether you're selling cars or whether you're selling books, doesn't Mm -hmm. matter. Mm -hmm. And of course, this notion of zeitgeist, of course, comes from, uh, I believe, Germany. Uh, It's a German word. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Google actually for a number of years, our our annual conference 15, 20 years ago was called Zeitgeist. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's so interesting. So so one of the things I would kind of pitch as part of my Mm -hmm. pitch at Times Bridge when I'm pitching to Headspace, pitching to Stack Overflow, pitching to Wattpad, pitching to mm-hmm. um, House and Coursera and Airbnb is sort of, mm-hmm. look, you can go to any company and grow your number of users in India. Go for it. Congratulations. But if you want to find a firm that's going to help your business land in the zeitgeist of India, um, be it via local hiring, be it via regulatory support, be it via partnerships with influencers, be it via partnerships with NGOs and all kinds of things, uh, work with us at Times Bridge. And it was such a different pitch. Mm-hmm. I think I think people are so used to being pitched on three and five year plans, which we did too. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was awesome to also help them understand that the arc of how you win in India or win in really any market mm-hmm. for since time immemorial has been are you winning the culture, whatever right. the culture is, business culture, youth culture, right. political culture, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I think that came across that story mm-hmm. as highly um, innovative. Mm-hmm. And I think um, that wouldn't have been possible without someone who's got an orientation around history or an orientation mm-hmm. around culture and an orientation on the arts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it turns out that proved pivotal. And it still does prove pivotal right. um, to Times Bridge's venture capital model. Interesting. The, the main kind of idea behind the pitch being that you can't just focus on the product, but it, because as long as you don't understand the product in its in its in the in the context in the destination, it's not going to work as well, right? And yeah, you, con- you know, all zeitgeist means the spirit of the times, right? right. So you know, if if we're in the zeitgeist, we are in this electric state where we're picking up interesting right. wisdom from users we're learning from mm-hmm. public figures where we're connected to lo- other entrepreneurs right it's this right. electricity we've generated for ourselves which almost guarantees positive outcomes but if you're operating from afar if you're kind of distant viewed as foreign right. you might do well you might hit one or two ceilings of growth but you're but you're going to be capped and yeah. i think yeah. that perspective that literal sales pitch right. um, is is highly informed by a sense of history 
and yeah. a sense of, uh, of perspective on how big ideas ultimately win yeah. and endure. And it also, it seems like, depends on the immersion, on your own knowledge, like personal That's knowledge right. of the context, right? I mean, I remember watching uh, the symposium um, a couple of weeks ago where you gave a talk and talked about somebody, um, a company manager who didn't want to travel. Um, they said they travel yeah. over the internet, um, right? Which you said, uh, I think correctly, <laughs> that uh, yeah. is quite, quite complacent. But but it so sounds like like this is kind of pervasive still, right? This kind That's of right. Uh, I mean, distance. I think, I think in the tech world, you know, there are a lot of folks who understandably, right? It's highly, it's more efficient to do deals in Asia or Latin America via Zoom. You don't need to be there. But I stumbled into a different story. I stumbled into a story where I was an explorer for these companies yeah. like Google and Twitter, and I was abroad. And so I, I developed a muscle uh, mm -hmm. also undergirded by my history degree in, in, in exploration. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I essentially represented that as part of a business. Mm -hmm. right? And I think part of what you learn when you're studying history, you know, the study of history involves triage in some ways, right? I mean, you are information overload, right? You've got to make sense of, make sense of a story really. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I think part of what I figured out is, you know, I made sense of my own story actually, mm -hmm. right? It would have been very easy for me to not rise above the density of my career and just like keep, keep plodding along. But I, mm -hmm. I reflected, right? I climbed right. up the totem pole, higher altitude and said, wait a minute, what this story is about is helping, helping ideas immerse. Even the work I did in Detroit, I lived in Detroit for a number of years mm -hmm. and I was helping big American ideas land in Detroit. And mm -hmm. so I realized that part of my story is helping um, purposeful, helping purpose travel in place mm -hmm. with authenticity. Right. And I think that takes a kind of, historian sensibility because it involves looking back on your own career and saying right. what have i accumulated right and i and i and i appreciate it and i'm grateful for the history study history for that and and right and being able to empathize with others right um so um so this april you launched um at virginia tech a unique new institute uh, which is called the institute for leadership in technology and it's really cool and the premise of this, uh, um, this whole enterprise um, is this provocative notion that the highest forms of human leadership necessarily involve drawing on the very best of what the humanities teach us. Uh, the ILT website mentions that um, the fellows who'd be welcomed there would be spending two days immersed in the mountains of Blacksburg, Virginia, as they embark on their mid-career humanities education and experience, something that sounds very intriguing to me. Could you talk more about how you see the ideal fellows and what would you like them to get out of this experience? Well, the ideal fellows, I appreciate uh, you bringing up this institute. And, you know, the, the question that really animated the institute was, you know, why doesn't the world yet have an executive degree in the humanities or a leadership degree in the humanities, right? You know, we've been talking for some time now about what constitutes leaders in technology and mm -hmm. we're mostly using human words right real leaders in technology aren't the out aren't the necessarily the best programmers or financial modelers they're they're something else mm -hmm. and so i was sort of struck last fall as i sort of twisted my career back towards the public interest a bit here at virginia tech that this kind of credential or experience didn't exist yet for mm -hmm. mid-career professionals to recommit to and reinvigorate themselves with the study of history and the humanities. So trying to build it. Mm -hmm. um, we're really sincerely open to all kinds of fellows. You know, we're not, we're not trying to, the word technology itself, I think of very broadly, right? There's a tendency to want to, technology means apps or something. You know, I think these mm -hmm. days, uh, we, are, we are all individually technology companies at this point, uh, but, but really, you look at every product around you and at your desk and in your life and in your home, all built by a technology company of some form or another. So right. we're looking for rising stars from all countries and all communities and all kinds of companies who, who have a sense that 
a mid-career experience, structured experience in the his, in history and the humanities um, can be game-changing for themselves. That's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And we're, okay. we're casting a wide net and we're hoping that, and we're betting actually, that experiences in history and the humanities um, are, these are muscles that one can cultivate, right? There's mm-hmm. this nature-nurture debate people often bring up with me, right? Like, oh, mm-hmm. Rishi, weren't you? It sounds like you were just born with these kinds of skills. <laughs> well, I think I've been around in tech long enough and lived in enough countries to, to, to see, see the difference it can make. I've seen mm-hmm. many times the difference in sensibility and leadership potential in tech when I notice someone who has, who has kind of so clearly committed themselves to the liberal arts and, and right. disciplines like history. Mm-hmm. And so um, we're betting that that's, those are muscles that you can cultivate in the middle of your career too. Uh, and we're excited to um, see what happens and delighted to soon be finalizing our class of 2024. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious to know a little bit more about the curriculum. Um, I only gleaned a little bit on the website and I also saw that you work with historians such as um, James McPherson, um, in, in helping the fellows to reflect about uh, ex- experiencing events like the Battle of Gettysburg, for instance. Um, so that's, that seems really uh, interesting. Um, it, obviously, you see some value in the immersion in these spaces, uh, yeah. not just books, right? Well, it's so, it's, so, it's so striking to me. You know, one, like, like with any good entrepreneur, one of the things you want to have an instinct on is is there any current indication in the marketplace that there's a potential fit for your product, right? Mm-hmm. What's the, what indicate, and, and I think that so many of my friends and colleagues in technology already um, nourish, try as best they can to nourish themselves with history. You know, as you saw in that article, um, I've been an avid wannabe historian. So, you know, I've gone on, tours of civil war battlefields, multi-day mm-hmm. tours and trips like that. Mm-hmm. Almost all of my quote unquote vacations are essentially, um, you know, journeys as though I'm a historian visiting somewhere with my family. Um, so I think what I'm tapping into is existing behavior. The mm-hmm. podcast people listen to, the books they read, the trips they go on, mm-hmm. whether they work in hedge funds or in technology, yeah. all are already searching right. for history as a meaning maker. Right. And so part of what we're trying to do in our curriculum, which we're still finalizing, is is deliver a shared experience around things that they've otherwise been experiencing solid in, in right. a solitary way. Right. Um, so it'll be a mix of kind of a reflection on the classics and Western civilization and its interplay with Eastern civilization uh, and creative writing and things like that sort of real, real exposure to history and the humanities, but also some some content also on how the humanities and and disciplines like history practically have showed up in Silicon Valley, in mm-hmm. public institutions, mm-hmm. in leadership. Um, mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I can't wait. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm building something that I want to do myself. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Interesting. So one of my questions was actually, you know, how are you selling this to the respective groups but actually based on what you just said it doesn't sound like it's a hard sell because people are doing these things already and there is this interest and you're just tapping into the existing yeah, practices instead of bringing together existing human mm-hmm. existing human behavior right mm-hmm. google google knew that search is is intrinsic to who we are as humans right twitter mm-hmm. understood that um some form of public expression is in a town square is just intrinsic to how we're built. Right. Um, and so similarly here, I'm betting that folks in the middle of their careers in business or in technology broadly construed are in search of meaning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think we can deliver that. Um, and, and, um, you know, we're well on our way. We've gotten so many, so many messages from people from a wide variety of companies, uh, and I'm I'm excited to see how this next chapter of my career as an entrepreneur and a, maybe yeah. a historian goes. Uh-huh. That sounds exciting, actually. Um, I have a few maybe difficult questions. Uh, let me start with 
One, maybe that's less so, but I'm curious to know how you're planning to measure the impact of this. Is that a con- concern? And I mean, I think quish- questions about impact are always important in 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 any kind of initiative, right? And and uh, have you? Th- I'm sure you thought about it. Yeah, I mean, we're we're starting fairly small, right? You know, we're not trying to boil an ocean here, right? We're mm-hmm. we're uh, you know we're we're looking to find just about a dozen people, you know, each year mm-hmm. that want to give do this program. Mm-hmm. And so when you when you walk before you run, I think questions of impact are a little bit different. Um, you know, with those dozen people each year, um, I want them to, um, you know, I want all of them to feel as though this experience at Virginia Tech, a shared experience, led to their ability to thrive and rise at their companies in mm-hmm. their contexts, um, as did the people they meet. Sort of, mm-hmm. how do you measure the success of any executive education program? How do you measure the success of any educational program, actually, right? I mean, and yeah. I think part of what we're saying is um, one way to do that is how sticky is it with its, its, its customers, right? Here, mm-hmm. my customers are actual executives and entrepreneurs, and they, they will be the best gauge of how successful this is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I spent a lot of my career, I spent a portion of my career in metric land, right? Kind of uh, <laughs> being able to speak very intelligently about metrics of success. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you realize is that um, that it's possible to track on two fronts. It's possible to track on big five and 10 year metrics of success, mm-hmm. um, which I hope in this case will involve, you know, many hundreds of people touched by this institute, but it's also possible to track on individual ripples. Mm-hmm. Um, here with this institute, because we only are will be serving, let's call it a dozen or so people each year as fellows, mm-hmm. part of my higher order goals around impact are, can we catalyze more institutes mm-hmm. like this in the United yeah. States? Yeah. I, yeah. I think part of what I'm trying to do is tell a different story so we so we finally have a mainstreamed identity right. around it's okay mm-hmm. to be come yeah. out of the closet as a history major or, yeah. a, or a humanities person, yeah. uh, even if you're in technology, yeah. uh, even if it's the middle of your career. And uh-huh. I think you're, I think part of your, your work is in that area too, right? I'm trying right. to mainstream an identity. Yeah. And I think yeah. that'll be another interesting track on which to measure impact. As we're speaking, I'm thinking um, this about this other question that I've that I've been going back to over and over again, about the language that we're using to talk about this, and um, and and that you're using, you know, things like awe and wonder and intuition, and what I asked myself several times when I was preparing for our conversation today uh, was whether whether this is enough of a term to to kind of to help to help you scale um, and sell this. But now, based on what you said, I think that looking at interests that it garners and right. is, is actually a lot already, right? Even though it seems like a fluffy set of concepts, right? I to use kind of, uh-huh. yeah. I mean, I think it's I think it's fair to wonder whether these terms, like wonder, <laughs> are um, are hard and crunchy enough to be taken seriously. I think ultimately it's the people that will sell. It's the people one has rallied, which will prove a testament to the right. idea we stand right. for, which is right. that history majors sort of, or history degree mm-hmm. can make a difference in technology. Look at, look at my advisory board for this Institute of the CEO of stack overflow, which is one of the world's most popular websites, period stack overflow mm-hmm. is the world's Reddit or Wikipedia for software engineers, mm-hmm. right? So this is a website. If you're a software engineer and you've wanted answers on coding problems you've had over the last 15 years, you go to Stack Overflow. That's where you mm-hmm. get your coding troubleshooted. I've got the founder of Wattpad, the world's largest you know, um, tech company devoted to helping young people write fiction. I've got the founder of Code for America, the first CTO of the Obama campaign. Um, I've got the head of strategy for Canva, uh, one mm-hmm. of the most valuable privately held tech companies in the world. And so 
just by virtue of this collection of people, which is growing, saying mm -hmm. yes, yeah. that that the superpower of the future is the humanities and yeah. and history is um, of course included there. Um, to me, that is uh, the best sell, right. a better yeah. sell than whatever adjectives I might come up with, <laughs> sure. you know, on a, on a, on a Tuesday afternoon, yeah. right? Because yeah. those adjectives are just, you know, um, uh, arbitrary and can, yeah. can be great poetry, but sometimes right. you need more. I, th I think the people, when I show you the picture of the class of 24 and class of 25 and class of 26, that in and of itself, when I, when I'm talking to an 18 year old, I think the best sell will be these pictures and these portraits. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and we need to do more of that. And I'm, mm -hmm. that's, that's, I know, I know my story is a part of that, but yeah. I want, I want to, I want to build from there. I, I see what you mean. I think I, I actually, um, do see it uh, in the sense that the momentum of the conversation and as it's sort of snowballing and it's gaining presence is itself the best sell. Um, rather than, you know, uh, some kind of arbitrary metrics. Yeah, I mean, the, the way yeah. universities sell themselves, right, is in part, um, well, well, he, here's who's gone here before, right? Yeah. Here, here's what they've done, right? Yeah. And I think part of what we're trying to, um, I want to bring a human face to the history credential in some right. ways, um, because no matter how many bullets we come up with, ultimately that's going to be the best, best sell. Sure. So I have a couple of concluding questions, if it's okay. okay. Sure. Um, you mentioned in that um, in one of the articles that's been published recently that you see a through line in your career, but you also describe it as being full of zigzags. And I think th there's already some perspective on it in the conversation that, that have um, come up. But um, I wonder if zooming out, you can make a more explicit case for how those zigzags impacted you in positive ways, maybe helped you grow? Um, well, I think um, it's interesting. I feel a through line, but I can, I can, I can understand if my career in its journey across many sectors and places can feel more zig and zaggy. For me, the through line is simple. I love, I love place-based work. I love thinking about places as um, the unit of analysis. I love finding ways for people to see places differently. And I love, I love and particularly places that feel like they're full of unrealized potential. Mm -hmm. My career has been one of, you know, I, I could have stayed when I was at Google in Silicon Valley and kind of worked abstractly on the world, mm -hmm. but I, I needed to work in place. I could have built this institute kind of abstractly on the internet but I'm delighted to be building it grounded in a place. Um, right. And I think um, that's been my career is place-based leadership, place-based, um, giving people new ways to think about, see and experience place. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the history degree, even location has mattered to me, sort of yeah. where and how to locate my work in history mm -hmm. has mattered a lot um, in my sense of animation. Um, but I think for me, so that's my through line, but there've been zigs and zags, of course. And I think the, in some ways, my career has been sort of a second history degree or a second liberal arts education. I almost feel, you know, I'll never forget living abroad, how many history books I would read about these countries I was living in or I was working on right. and how much exhilaration and joy I felt in the work because I understood the past. And so for me, you know, my, my, my zigs and zags are certainly, certainly in me, but it's, mm -hmm. um, sometimes it feels like another degree. <laughs> right. In applied liberal arts. One there you could go. Say. There you go. Yeah. Um, and the last question then, um, what do you think that the universities can uh, or should do to promote the practical value of the humanities and of history in particular, I should, I should say, you know, but in terms of practical measures, because there, there are very interesting conversations, but what can they do? Yeah, I mean, I think we should we should sell the one sell the sell the people, right? Sort of, it's the people, stupid, right? Sort of mm -hmm. surface more emphatically all the people who self-identify as people connected to the study of and lifelong connection to history, um, but also you know lift up 
emphatically how critical um, the skills of communication and storytelling and story listening and clarity of thought are in the real world and kind of in anecdotes or with data, you know, all my, so many of my friends in the real world, right, who work at not-for-profits or in startups or in um, government, you know, the, the, the joke is that, gosh, we spent half our lives writing emails, right? Like we, <laughs> but, but that, what, what we're getting at is so much of our quote work, whether we're in a bank, whether we're in a not-for-profit, whether we're in a government, whether we're in a startup is about communication right. with other human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's where the rubber meets the road. And we don't talk mm-hmm. about that minutia enough. If I look mm-hmm. through, if I look through my to-do list, while I was a vice president at Twitter, while I was a leader at Google, while I was an entrepreneur in Detroit, while I was a venture capitalist investing in Western high technology companies, mm-hmm. all, nearly every single one of my to dos involved communication, right? mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, of some sort mm-hmm. and, and communication with deep clarity, precision and animation and wisdom. And I think Every single action item of my past has involved that. Um, and I think we need to bring that to life and make sure f- we're not shortchanging people who then 20 years in their career realize, gosh, you know, maybe I should have taken a history class right. so that I could, when I'm standing up in this room presenting my big product idea or new widget or new solution I've come up with, I was even more prepared for that moment. Um, and so I, I would, uh, so many ways to sell this stuff, but if you can't tell, I care a lot about being a part of that sell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Rishi, thank you so much for, um, this uh, illuminating conversation. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for all you're doing, uh, and for having me.